New Horizon has been serving the church in Northern Ireland since 1989, and we're delighted to bring you this talk today. We trust you will be blessed through this ministry. So let's give them a round of applause as we welcome them to the seminar. Roger. Thank you, and apologies to Judith, my colleague. I was giving her palpitations uh, by arriving just right on time. Judith and I think it would be very helpful for all of us if we could sit closer together. Very often at these things, um, there's a, a chance to sort of feel part of something bigger than ourselves, and that's hard to do when there's lots of sp uh, spaces around us. So at some stages, uh, we'll just be asking you to have a quick chat on twos and threes. That'll be much easier, and it's much more enjoyable for us if we're a little bit closer. So please be bold and move in from the edges. And um, one of the themes we'll hear this morning is that uh, God draws us from the outside into his midst. So let's draw together from the outside and we'll sit a bit closer. And as you do so, um, we're gonna introduce ourselves just a little bit more. So my name is Roger Cook. Um, I am uh, married to Laura. We live in Belfast. Originally I'm from Bangor. And uh, Laura and I have been foster carers with Bernardo's for the last eight years. And in May, I took up the role of Northern Ireland lead for Home for Good. Uh, so leading our work here in Northern Ireland, but I'm quite new to the post. Although there's somebody here who's been around for a bit longer. Hi, everybody. It's lovely to see you all. See a few familiar faces, which is great. Um, I'm Judith Dawson. I'm married to Neil. Um, He's out, I think he's still in the book tent. He's probably wandering around and bumped into 20 people he knows, um, followed by four kids in tow. So um, yeah, we have four children, uh, three that joined our family through birth and one that joined our family through adoption. And we're also foster carers for the Southern Trust. Um, and I'll tell you a little bit more about our personal story later on. Um, but yeah, I've worked as Southern Trust Coordinator for Home for Good since 2019, and it's just a real privilege um, to be able to do that role. Um, yeah, and I look forward to sharing a little bit more with you um, shortly. Yep, actually, I'm just gonna <laughs> I'm just gonna share do a really, really quick introduction. Kind of a show of hands who's heard of Home for Good before? Okay, that's brilliant. So we have a few people that maybe aren't just as familiar and few that are, so that's great. So Home for Good is a UK-wide Christian charity and we are really passionate about finding a home for every child who needs one through fostering, adoption and supported lodgings for teenagers. There's currently over 3,500 children in care in Northern Ireland. Approximately 80% or so of those are living in foster families. Each one of these children are precious, they're unique, and they're very much loved by God. And at Home for Good, we believe that the church is ideally placed to respond to the need for more loving and caring homes in which children can thrive and flourish. We recognize that there can be challenges along the way um, and have seen the difference that a supportive church community can make to the lives of children and young people who can no longer live with their birth families. We believe that everybody has a part to play to be in being there for the children and also wrapping around the families that care for them. Um, so we're going to just pass over to Roger here and you're going to hear a little bit more about details of what we do as Home for Good and how you can get involved. Uh, but just as we finish our introductions, what we'd like you to do is turn to, uh, in twos or threes, just where you're sitting, just for a couple of minutes, if, if you're with somebody uh, who you know well, Try and turn to somebody who you don't know so well. But introduce yourself, say where you're from. But, but we're really keen just to share 
um, what, if any, engagement do you have with fostering, adoption, or supported lodgings? And if you have none, that's okay, but just basically we're asking, what brought you here? So let's do that for just a couple of minutes, introduce each other, and what brings you here? Thank you. On Saturday the 6th of November uh, 2021, George Linnean headed out for a day trip in the Brecon Beacons in South Wales. <laughs> I'm struggling because I've now put the microphone between right in my eye line between me and what I'm trying to read. There we go, that's better. Uh, but this wasn't the sort of day trip that you and I might enjoy in the Breckens. George is an experienced caver, and along with a caving friend, he had planned to spend the day exploring a cave system which is called, in its translation, the Cave of the Black Spring. I'm not going to try and pronounce it in the Welsh. It's one of the deepest cave systems in the UK, with its lowest passageways about 247 meters below the surface. All was going well until around 1 p.m., the rock bridge that George was standing on suddenly crumbled beneath his feet. In the ensuing fall, George suffered significant leg, jaw, and chest injuries. Through no fault of his own, George Lemain was stuck in a difficult and dangerous situation and had he had no way to get out. A call quickly went out for help. The response was swift and overwhelming. As word quickly got out around the caving community and rescue teams, volunteers from across the UK dropped what they were doing and made their way to South Wales. These guys recognized the severity of the situation. They each felt that they had skills and experience to offer. They felt compelled to respond. What followed was one of the UK's longest, most complex cave rescues. The rescue took 54 hours, and the rescue team numbered 300. One of the volunteers reported, I was lying in the passageway at one point, and to the right of me there was a Yorkshire accent, to the left, there was a Somerset accent, and opposite, thankfully, was an Irish accent. Very occasionally, you get a situation like this, he said. It's a question of all hands to the pump. All the other teams rally around to work on a mutual problem. Sometimes it takes a big community to respond effectively to a crisis. Some tasks call for a diverse group of different people working together. I guess you could say it's a bit like a body made up of many parts. Around the UK, including here in Northern Ireland, thousands of children, through no fault of their own, find themselves in difficult and often dangerous situations that they can't escape. Part of our role in Home for Good is to issue a cry for help. Today and every day, Almost 100 children will be taken into care across the United Kingdom. And as Judith, Judith has highlighted, there are over 3,500 children in care in Northern Ireland. And many more are waiting. At least 265 new foster families are needed across Northern Ireland right now. Many of these children will have suffered abuse and neglect. All of them will have experienced trauma and loss. Each one deserves a home where they will be loved, nurtured, and enabled to thrive. There are huge needs. There are huge challenges. 
And in Home for Good, we believe that the church has a crucial role to play in responding to these needs and in making a difference to the lives of children and teenagers who find themselves looking for places of safety, security, and love, places to belong. Sometimes it takes a community to respond effectively to a crisis. A diverse group of people working together, a body made up of many parts. I'm gonna take this out because I can't see what I'm doing. So why should this matter to the church? Quite simply, because it matters to God. God wants his people, you and me, to care about the things that he cares about. And God cares about those on the margins, including children who aren't able to live with their birth families. I firmly believe that providing safe and loving homes for children in our care system is a calling for the whole church. This isn't just a private family concern. This is public theology. This is one of those issues that we need to look at from a fresh perspective with renewed minds through the lens of scripture. After all, it's only by engaging with God's word that we get a sense of the things that are in God's heart. Now we could do a whole week of Bible teaching about God's concern for vulnerable and marginalized people, including children. In fact, Home for Good has a four-part Bible study that seeks to do just that. It's called Make Room, and it's something that you might want to consider doing with your churches. But for now, let me just take about six or seven minutes to do a whistle-stop tour. I'm going to quickly highlight some of the broad biblical foundations for what we're sharing today. We're going to cover a lot of ground very quickly. So rope up, put on your hard hats, and we'll set off on our own adventure. In some of the earliest books in the Bible, we're introduced to a biblical principle that we see repeated regularly throughout the rest of Scripture. Here's the principle. God's people are called to leave space in their lives to actively care for those on the margins. And by the way, if anyone's here from St. Patrick's or St. Andrew's, I apologize for the overlap with part of what I shared on Sunday, but hopefully you'll hear a bit more. For example, here is some of the harvest teaching from Moses in his final sermon to God's people in the book of Deuteronomy. It's a reading from Deuteronomy chapter 24. When you're harvesting your crops and forget to bring in a bundle of grain from your field, don't go back to get it. Leave it for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Then the Lord, your God, will bless you in all you do. The lesson seems pretty simple here, but just in case we've missed the point, Moses continues. When you beat the olives from your olive trees, don't go over the boys twice. Leave the remaining olives for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. And he continues, when you gather the grapes in your vineyard, don't glean the vines after they are picked. Leave the remaining grapes for the foreigners, the orphans, and the widows. Remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt. This is why I'm giving you this command. As I say, it doesn't need much explanation or exposition. It's very clear what we're being called to do here. Uh, for our purposes this morning, it's probably just worth noting and remembering that God's people, uh, this bit at the end, God's people were defined as those who had been uh, rescued from slavery in Egypt. That was one of their defining characteristics. It's repeated time and time again. So God is reminding his people in this harvest teaching that he heard the cries when they were in a difficult and dangerous situation from which they couldn't escape. God hears the cries of his children and he responds. 
in similar teaching around uh, harvest in the book of Leviticus, if I can say that, um, Moses puts it this way. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your field, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. Leave it for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. The people of God are called to leave space around the edges of their fields in order to actively care for vulnerable people. The same God who spoke through Moses speaks to us today through these same texts. And it's challenging stuff. It subverts and undermines the pervading messages of our own culture. What's going on here? Well, rather than seeking maximum rewards and returns, rather than prioritizing our own gains, you and I are called to hold something back, to leave space, to leave room, to set aside some of our resources for those whose life circumstances make them especially vulnerable. This harvest teaching has huge implications about the choices that we make around how to invest our time, our talents, and our finances. I'd recommend these texts uh, for your harvest services this year. Uh, after hearing a sermon on this a few years ago, it's become a firm favorite of mine. Uh, so thank you, Christoph Ebbinghaus. We see similar principles and themes when we read the prophets, who I recently heard described as the guard dogs of the covenant. For the prophets, there seem to be two key ways of checking the spiritual temperature of God's people, two tests of their faithfulness to God and the life that God had called them to. Are they worshiping idols? And are they caring for vulnerable people? These are the two things that we see repeated and repeated throughout the prophetic writing. Both tests were important. For example, as we start reading the book of Isaiah, we discover that God seems pretty unhappy with his people, even though they appear to be observing their ritual obligations around worship. And God doesn't hold back. I'm sure you'll be familiar with this. That's Leviticus. It's no good to us. So this is Isaiah chapter 1. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instructions of God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. Stop bringing me meaningless offerings. Your intense is detestable to me. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Doesn't sound so good for the people of Israel. But then in Isaiah chapter 1 comes the gracious offer of a new start. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Take up the cause of the fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. For Isaiah and for most of the prophets, the worship of God was inseparable from justice and from the service of those who were oppressed, marginalized, and vulnerable. Or, as Jesus put it, our love of God is inseparable from our love of others. This is what is most important in the kingdom of God. Of course, Jesus' own ministry took these words and these ideas and he breathed them into glorious technicolor, painting the most incredible, vibrant pictures of transforming grace. Jesus was constantly stopping on his journey to respond to the cries of those on the outside. 
A blind man by the side of the road is brought into the center of the story and he experiences full restoration, physical, spiritual, societal. A woman with a bleeding disorder is brought into the middle of the crowd and her life has changed forever. Children whom the disciples tried to shoo away are instead embraced by the King of Heaven, sitting on his knee, tugging at his beard, up close to the son of David, looking into his kind, accepting, loving eyes. As those who seek to follow in the way of Jesus, you and I are to embrace this outside-in vision. As people who are being renewed and transformed, we are called to renew and transform the world around us. It's a movement from the inside out so that we can welcome the outside in. So as we engage with the pages of the Bible, it's impossible to ignore the fact that our God has a particular concern for marginalized and vulnerable people, including vulnerable children. As James neatly summarizes it, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. God cares about this issue, so should we. So as I conclude this quick exertion through the Bible, let me finally refer to Psalm 68, where we read that God sets the lonely in families. Imagine the transformational difference that the church could make if even more individuals and families in our congregations opened their homes to children and young people in care. Imagine the impact if church communities wrapped around those families to offer encouragement, prayer, and practical support. So that's the theory. For the rest of our time this morning, we want to consider what this looks like in practice. When individuals and churches catch the vision. We'll start with a short video, um, and then Judith will share some of her story. So let's hopefully the video will, will work for you. One thing that really struck me was, uh, I was saying to someone else a while ago, you know, we need people in our church that foster, but we also need people that don't foster because those that foster or that are going through any challenging circumstances need people that have more capacity. And our church has so been that for us. When we first heard about getting a child, it's actually not the child that's in our home right now. With, uh, it was a boy and we have two girls. And within 24 hours, we had a house full of boy stuff. So we had a room, you know, bedspread, stuff to go on the walls, toys, clothes for like a one to four year old, this whole room full of stuff. And that was just the church's friendship, but even beyond us, people we didn't know that well. People want something to latch onto that they can help with. You know, we were so grateful. You know, we were massively grateful. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the fostering or something like that often seems a step too far, but that's that first step. I can be part of this. Yeah, well, the church really has been crucial to this. But shortly after we had our wee baby, and you know, anybody who's had wee babies knows that you immediately go into sleepless nights and the whole baby routine. And I just then started to get these pings coming in on my phone saying, I have a meal for you, I'll bring it round. Some of them were from people, in fact, most of them were from people that I didn't even know. And that phone just pinged every single day for, I'm sure it was over a month, to the point where my freezer was full, my fridge was full, my children were delighted, they've never eaten so well in their life. <laughs> sort of had the modern day feel of manna from heaven and I hadn't really been aware that the church was so aware of maybe where we were at in our journey and as I say, just that really practical help of having these amazing meals, and they were amazing meals come every night, was just it was incredible, and I'll never forget it. I never will forget it. It really, really touched me at a very deep level. 
We had um, youth workers who would come around who wouldn't judge her behavior. You know, they would not only look after her, but they, they, would, they would come to me and say things like, how do we become overnight carers so that you guys get the break that you need? We would have family friends who would come to us and they'd say, look, we're gonna take her to the cinema. We're gonna, we'll have her around for something to eat. We're gonna take her for a walk. We're gonna do something. We would have people make meals for us. We'd have people do really practical things. We also have people pray. Our, our long-term foster child was um, on a rolling suspension from school. Um, and that really meant we had to find another school for him and he had nowhere to go to. So our church brought together a little team of teachers um, to school him for me, for us. It was great. <laughs> Even before we got married, we talked about adoption. Um, and the conversation came up because um, my, Michael had lost his uh, parents very early on. Um, and I was quite intrigued that there were um, families um, who stepped up um, to stand in the gap to, you know, look after him and make sure he was all right and guide him. Um, I have three other families who constantly look after me. Um, so I'm constantly, well, I had to constantly move between three families. Um, but it was great, and for me, it was, you know, they were all home, which I think is quite hard for one to identify with a particular home, so they were all, they're all home. Two families that are, are our support, families that will take our boy on weekends or overnights, and yeah, we have been massively, you know, there's the line, it takes a village to raise a child, and we all know that regardless of care, but it's, we've definitely found that village, and it's been, it's been a lifeline at times to be part of a local church, for sure. When people just like, invite you round their family tables, it's like, right, you're coming around for dinner every Friday, just be a part of our family, and we'll all eat dinner together, so that he can see that family environment and that kind of family unit and feel like he's a part of other people's families as well. That's been just so nice and really rich, like a rich experience for us. We wouldn't have that. Um, it would look so different how I fostered him or how I look after him if I didn't have my church around me. And I think it just makes a massive difference. And to him as well, to feel like he's supported, to feel like he's part of a community. He's not just living with his auntie. Yeah, we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have the level of support that we have if, if my church hadn't come around us the way they, they have. Um, I have never fostered or adopted children. Um, I do have family experience of it, but I've never done it myself. It is something I did consider, but the timing was never right for it, for me, for a number of reasons. Being able to come alongside people, just offer that prayerful support or a meal or just asking after the kids, just being interested in them um, and even getting police checked so that you can be uh, an additional adult in that child's life, whether that is just to, to have them for an hour while mum goes and gets her groceries or um, to allow mum and dad out to have a dinner together on a birthday or something like that, just something very, very special that a lot of us take for granted and not everybody's going to be able to foster or adopt but we can all support somebody who is doing it. So nine years ago I was sitting where you guys are sitting and no I wasn't I was sitting 
back there somewhere near the exit because I had a one-year-old, a three-year-old and a four-year-old with me. Um, so you have to be near the exit at all times. Um, and Krish Kandaya was speaking. Was anybody else here that year when Krish Kandaya was speaking? One of the made. So Krish is the um, founder of Home for Good. And I remember very clearly as he spoke and as he shared that I could feel this nervous anticipation, uneasiness rise within me. Um, afterwards, I rushed to the bookstall and I bought the Home for Good book. Now, this isn't my original copy. My original copy is, I wouldn't even show it in public. It's so leafed through. But um, I, I'm not a reader and I read it in record time. Um, and I suppose at that stage, um, just to give you a bit of background where we were at, um, I was married. Um, I was working as a nurse in intensive care just two days a week. Um, my husband was a charity worker. We lived in, it was our first home, so it was like a little end terrace, small house. And um, we were crammed in with our three young children. And as we heard Chris share, um, as I say, I just felt that there was something stirring within me. Uh, my husband and I, even whenever we were dating, we had spoken about adoption and fostering being part of our story. And um, my husband's parents had been foster carers, so he had grown up in a home where there was young people coming and going, um, and that had a big impact on him. Um, but we just didn't know what it would look like. So as I say, whenever we read through the book, we reflected on what we had heard. Um, Neil and I were just reminded of... Jesus, and as Roger has said, of his character, um, of how he was always um, ready to welcome, to sit around a table with people, um, to get down on their level, um, and just provide that place of safety um, to engage with people. As I read the book, we also heard of stories of children um, who had been fostered or adopted, and we were stirred by how much God cares about each detail um, of their lives and the difference that a stable family home can make. Um, both of us in our younger days had traveled quite extensively um, to many countries, and I suppose we were faced firsthand with poverty um, and what that looked like and real need. At that stage, we were really struck by the fact that there was a real need on our doorstep um, and challenged by, what are we going to do about this? I couldn't shift the niggly feeling to do something. So me being me, I phoned social services. Um, and when I said that we had a one-year-old, a three-year-old, and a four-year-old, and we were interested in adoption, um, he laughed. And he thought we were crazy. Um, and he said, just give it some time. So that was OK. Um, I didn't let it go. I just knew that God had something for us um, as part of our journey. So in the meantime, we moved house so that we had an extra bedroom. Um, I began to read a bit more about fostering adoption, a bit about therapeutic parenting, um, trauma and the impact of that, just to really try and educate myself so that when the time came, we would be ready. Um, so it was 2014 that we moved into our new home and I was very excited to decorate our spare bedroom. That was the first room to be decorated. We knew that we wanted it to be a place of welcome and it wasn't long before we had guests come in to stay with us. Um, in 2015, we approached social services again um, to inquire about fostering. And this then led us to being approved to both foster and adopt. So it's a scheme called concurrent care or early permanence. Some of you may be familiar with it. Um, so three years later, um, we brought our youngest daughter home. And this is where I might 
choke, so please just bear with me. Um, it is really hard to put into words um, the roller coaster of emotions that we felt during the first couple of years, really. Um, but the day that we met her, it was one of joy, but it was also one of pain um, and a real acute awareness of the loss that she and her birth family had faced um, and the trauma that she had suffered. So we felt a real weight of responsibility just in caring for this precious little bundle to the best of our ability um, and also just to build a really good relationship with her birth family. Um, during the early days of her being with us, our church supported us practically. Like you heard on the video, we had meals delivered to our home. Um, people were generally understanding when we didn't want to pass her around for cuddles because we were trying to work hard and build in that attachment with her. And on the whole, people were respectful of her story and were understanding um, if I had to remind them that the details of her story were hers and not mine to share. Our church family um, journeyed the ups and downs with us. And when her adoption order was granted, we all celebrated with cake, obviously. Um, We'd also joined a Home for Good peer support group um, and that was really great because it just meant that we had access to people who got it and um, that had maybe been on the journey and were a bit further ahead, they knew support to access and um, so that was really valuable to us. When the pandemic hit, um, we were asked would we consider fostering. As you've heard, there's over 200 more foster families needed in Northern Ireland now um, and often social workers that I, I work with, what they want is to find a really good match for children and often what they find is a bed and it might just not be the most suitable place for that child. So at that stage, that's what they were faced with. And with a pandemic ensuing, they knew that the, the need and um, finding really good matches would be even more difficult. So they asked, would we consider it? Um, we, we said, well, if you really need us, if you really need us, give us a call and we'll see what we can do. So it was a short time later that we got a phone call about a 16-year-old girl. Um, and that night we sat around the dinner table. We always include the kids. It's You foster as a family, so we include the kids in the conversation and just briefly explain the situation and ask if, if we could look after another child in our home. And our eldest spoke up and said, why wouldn't we? So that was that. And the next day she came um, to stay with us. And while she was with us, she amazed us. She is the most talented musician. Um, she, the highlight of my lockdown was I got to meet the producers of The Voice virtually. I thought I was going to get to see Will I Am, but she didn't get that far. But she got to the producer stage of The Voice Editions, which is immense. Um, she learned to play guitar. She's just, she's so talented, amazing baker, um, did my makeup, wasn't so fond of the eyebrows, but she did a good job otherwise. Um, and she was just great. She was great. Now I say all that, there were ups and downs and it wasn't easy. There was definitely challenges. And I was actually just speaking to her last week and I was saying, I'm sure we made plenty of mistakes. We hadn't parented a teenager yet. It was new to us. We were kind of doing our best as we went along. Um, but then I had followed up with her and said, look, I'm going to be doing this talk today. If you were to pass on any wisdom to people that are considering this, um, what would you say to people that are thinking about opening their homes? Um, so she was really keen. She was like, oh, I could maybe, I think maybe she'll come with me the next time. But she thought it was around the corner. When she heard it was this far away, she said, decided not to come. But um, 
she, she said her advice would be to find out as much as you can about the child or young person before they come to you. Get to know their likes and dislikes, get to know, um, maybe you could have something there that you know they like, and that shows that you've taken an interest. And then really simply, um, just be caring and loving. Um, she had said that when she came to us, she was nervous, but that we let her know that she was going to be okay. Um, so, I mean, it's not rocket science, really. Um, we have continued to foster since um, our teenager leaving us. Um, and in doing so, we've built amazing relationships with a number of children and their birth families and other foster carers, their social workers, and many more. And we find that over lockdown, we weren't the only ones in our small church to open our homes. Um, so over the years, we have been using Home for Good resources. I suppose it's just been drip feeding gradually into church culture. Um, and we've gone from there being two foster families three years ago to currently having six foster families and two more going through assessment. Um, and I think a major influencer in this has been people getting to meet the amazing children and young people um, that we and the other foster carers were bringing along to church. And they were, they were able to see also how we had been supported and what we were doing. And it's been really positive to have a number of foster carers in the church because what it's meant is that whenever the children stay with us have needed a place for a night or a week, they go to an equivalent of auntie, you know, and they go to somebody that's known to them that they're seeing on a regular basis. It's not to another stranger. So it's much more natural. With this growth, um, all the church play a part. The tech team, for example, are always mindful where the live stream cameras are facing and they'll stop streaming when kids are participating in family service so everybody can take part. Um, quick wee story, I'm probably waffling too long, but one of the wee girls that came to us, um, she, whenever she came to church for the first time, we're going back the following week and she said, I don't wanna go back to that singing competition in her mind, that's what it was. But then she was persuaded whenever we told her she could do a song at the end. So a couple of key families stayed behind, all mics off, all streaming off, and she was able to stand on the stage and sing a wee song. And she thought this was great. Um, our, everyone knows that when we arrive with a new child, not to ask too many questions in relation to their connection to us, but to welcome them, to remember their name, and generally offering them juice and tea or a biscuit works well the winner. Um, our church family don't pass any remark if a child is unsettled. Uh, we all get to know and love each child or young person for who they are and we all feel the loss when a child moves on. I think back to sitting over there um, nine years ago and how different our lives would look if when posed with the question would you open your home and heart to a child we hadn't had the same response as our son which was why wouldn't we? If we hadn't, would our lives be more predictable? Most likely. Would we be more comfortable? Yes, probably. <laughs> would we change it for a moment? Not a chance. Um, we've been on an amazing journey where our relationship with God and those around us have deepened. Um, and I've had the joy of being part of Home for Good staff now for the past three years. I suppose I just want to ask you this morning, this afternoon, um, will you play your part? And I hope that your response will be, why wouldn't I? Thank you, Judith. Um, we're keen for you to have a few minutes to share your story. Let me just say, it's ridiculously warm and you're doing incredibly well. Um, 
I used to work for an organization called CMS Ireland, and we would have had um, stands here sometimes in the exhibition. And one year, it was, it was a bit like this, and I brought a fan. And boy, did we have people visiting our stand that year. So I really feel bad that I didn't bring a fan. I think if I had I had a couple of fans here, this would have been a much more pleasant experience for all of us. Anyway, what we'd like you to do is turn again to your twos and threes, just where you're sitting. And I suppose uh, the question is, what is your church doing about this issue? In what ways is your church engaged around the issues of fostering adoption and supported lodgings? And for many of us, that might be not at all. So we're thinking on a scale of zero, where there's nothing, to 10, where your church is the most incredibly engaged church. So that's the first thing. On a scale of zero to 10, where is your church? And then chat a wee bit around what you'd like to see happen in your church. So let's do that for a few minutes. Thank you. Okay, just as you're finishing your chat, um, <clears throat> let's say by show of hands, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to count from a zero to 10. So um, I'm just keen to get a sense of where you feel your churches are at in terms of engagement with this issue. So just uh, as, we, as I count, put your hand up for where you think your church is, zero being no engagement at all, etc. And then keep your hand up and we'll just have a look around as we go. So anyone around the sort of zero, one stage? Okay, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Anyone above that? Oh, that's good. Yes, yes, okay. Eight, nine, tens, very good. Well, it's, it seems as if there's a, a, actually a few folk here who definitely are in churches that are engaging with this issue a bit. Um, I think we'd all love to see that happening more. Um, I can echo Judah's story for our own church. Uh, six years ago, there was um, two foster families in, in the church, and now there are six with three going through assessment. Um, and it's because of that journeying with Home for Good that has helped us put it on the agenda. So what Judith and I'd like to do just very briefly as we draw things to a bit of a close here, is to share some of the ways in which Home for Good are working. So these are just a few bullet points so you get a sense of the sorts of things that we do to help your church and you as individuals. So one of the things, and Judith alluded to this, is to do with resources um, and Home for Good speakers. So uh, things that will help put this issue on the agenda in your church. We want people to be talking about this, learning about this, praying about this and responding to it. And so Home for Good provide resources for special times during the year, like Mother's Day, Father's Day, Christmas, um, uh, videos and prayers and things for the children to get involved in. Um, so those are things that uh, can help you as you try to help your church. Um, and inviting somebody to come and speak from Home for Good is a great way to put it in front of the wider congregation. So part of my role as Southern Trust Coordinator also involves journeying with people that are considering fostering adoption or supported lodgings. Um, and Home for Good love to do this. If you know or you yourself have an interest in thinking about fostering adoption or supported lodgings, you can go onto the website and make an inquiry. Um, and what that means is it'll start you off on a journey. You'd be connected with somebody who can walk that journey with you. We have online information sessions that run regularly and brilliant courses called foundations courses that run over six weeks. And the next one start on the 15th of September online. Really recommend those um, just as a way of starting off that conversation maybe within your home. Um, sometimes you don't know what you don't know. So it's a really good starting place just to start to gather information. Um, and it can be a bit scary making that call to social services for the first time. So this gives you a little bit of background so that you feel confident that the time is right for you to step forward. 
Um, we've talked a number of times today about the importance of uh, caring for other people in your church who maybe are involved in fostering and adoption, and Judith has spoken very powerfully about the support that she's felt from her church, uh, and Home for Good, we try to help you to do that. We try to help churches through training and advice on how to support other people within their community, so it's another thing that might be helpful. I mentioned the peer support group, so we do have a number throughout Northern Ireland. We would love to see those grow. So maybe if that's something that there isn't one of in your area, you could explore that and would love to help you with that. It really is vital in getting through the tough times and also celebrating the wins as well. Um, some churches may decide that they want to journey a bit more deeply and more closely with Home for Good. Um, that's certainly what our church decided a number of years ago. Um, there's a thing called Home for Good Church that um, was around a while ago, sort of went off the agenda for a bit, and we're reintroducing. Um, it's for churches who really do want to commit to a, a, maybe a, a bit of a deeper relationship with Home for Good, um, and there's particular training and input as part of that. But the idea is to journey over a, a three-plus-year period to try to help embed some of these things and make it go wider and deeper in your church. Home for Good are not a fostering or adoption agency and as such then we do work alongside um, trusts and agencies. So currently in Northern Ireland we have an agreement with the Southern Trust as well as HSA Fostering. So my role has very much been connecting with the social workers in the Southern Trust area for the past three years and it's a, been a real joy actually just to encourage them in their work because it can be challenging. Um, to be part of the meetings that they have and just really feel part of that team. Um, it's been wonderful to, to hear stories of them relaying that people have got to panel, they've been approved, they've had children placed, and even just the difference in somebody's assessment whenever they have done that little bit of background work with Home for Good, a bit of journey in beforehand, that they're really ready then whenever assessment comes. Um, that's something we're exploring with the Northern Trust as well, a similar role to, to what Judith's doing, so that's something for your prayers. Um, there's enthusiasm, we just need um, commitment and decisions. Um, and finally, one of the ways in which Home for Good work is around the area of advocacy. Um, some of you are aware that uh, our care system uh, across lots of sectors is really under-resourced and overstretched. Social workers are often trying to cope with caseloads that are just un unwieldy, and uh, it's a difficult um, role for them to play and uh, in Home for Good we want to be uh, friends of the, the system, to be critical friends who offer uh, solution-based advice, who try to get alongside and um, find a better way. So we really uh, work for systemic change um, and we'd ask for your um, uh, prayers for that process too. At this stage, just as we were finishing, we're going to have a few questions. We're not going to, it's too warm. Um, if you would like to stick around for a bit and have a bit of a chat, Judith and I would love that. We have uh, a very um, professional-looking literature table along the front row, and we were conscious that there wasn't a, a table, so it's on some chairs. So let me tell you what you would find when you come to get some literature. The first thing you'd find is a Home for Good uh, booklet leaflet, a nice summary of who we are, what we're about, so that you can find out more. Then there's contact cards. Now, this is really key if you would like to find out more and stay in touch with Home for Good. Um, you could get a, a weekly email with bits and pieces. You could, if you're looking to explore fostering adoption or supported lodgings, you could put that on this and one of us will follow up with that. So you can do it by scanning the QR code and doing it on the website, or you can fill it in. If you're filling in, just fill in as much information in this box as you want and can, because that helps us with how to deal with your inquiry. So it could be that um, you want to fill something like that in today or 
take it with you and scan the QR code. This is really helpful for us if you want to stay in touch with us and hopefully really helpful for you. Uh, Judith has mentioned um, the Home for Good book, a really great introduction to this issue, but also to the church's role in it. It's, I think, in the bookstall. I certainly asked for it to be in the bookstall. But we do have some copies with us as well. Um, so there's two ways to get this book uh, today. One is to go to the bookstall and purchase one at full price. The other is, uh, is to just come and quietly chat to us, um, because we're also asking people to consider becoming a friend of Home for Good. Um, basically, the work that we do in this part of, of the world, in Northern Ireland, is reliant on me and Judith at the minute. We have great vision and great potential to reach lots more churches, but it's hard to do with so few of us. So we need people to stand with us uh, financially by giving a little bit every month. That's a friend of Home for Good. If that's something you'd like to think about, you can take one of these and scan it. Or if you want to fill one in today, you'll get a free book. And finally, there's the Make Room, uh, the Bible study we talked about, we really thought about that. So a few bits and pieces. We have three and a half, four minutes left. There's a, uh, a prayer video that I was going to use that's four and a half minutes. Was that okay? Yeah? We're going to finish in prayer. Uh, this is a little video that we put together with some voices from people around Northern Ireland who are involved with Home for Good. Um, there's a refrain in the prayer that you can join in with. Um, when the people in the video say, Gracious God, our loving Father, we'll all say, Hear us as we pray. So let's be still just for a, a second or two uh, before the video starts. Um, and then we'll join in with the prayer. So you can listen in. There's subtitles on it if you want to follow, or you can just listen for the prompt. Gracious God, our loving Father, hear us as we pray. And before we do that prayer, let me say thank you for your attendance and your engagement. Uh, we really are encouraged by you being here. But we'll finish with prayer, so let's pray. God of love, you set the lonely in families. We thank you for families of all shapes and sizes, immediate or extended, nuclear or blended, related by blood or united by love. We thank you for the gift of children, for their limitless potential, boundless energy and constant curiosity. Above all, we thank you for adopting us into your family and for joining us together with eternal bonds that go deeper than biology. May our experience of your perfect love increase our prayerful commitment to families and children. Gracious God, our loving Father, hear us as we pray. God of compassion, you hear the cries of the widow and the orphan. We pray for the children and the teenagers whose lives have been marked by trauma, neglect and loss. We pray that each of them would know that they are precious in your sight. We ask you to provide for those children who are still waiting for the safe, loving home they need. We pray too for the birth families of children who no longer live with them. May they know the healing comfort of your presence. Gracious God, our loving Father, hear us as we pray. God of faithfulness, you are the Father to the fatherless. We give thanks for all who care for vulnerable children in their home, for kinship carers 
adoptive parents and foster carers. May they know your companionship and provision. We pray that you would prompt more individuals and families to open up their hearts and their homes to children who need a place to belong. We pray for the many professionals who provide vital support to vulnerable children, including social workers, teachers and residential staff. We ask that you would bless them in their work. We remember all those who make decisions about children's lives. Grant them your wisdom and compassion. Gracious God, our loving Father. Hear us as we pray. God of justice, you call your people to take up the cause of vulnerable children. So we give thanks for the many churches across Northern Ireland who have responded to this call. We pray that more churches will catch this vision and play an active part in caring for vulnerable children. We pray for our own church, that as your people in this place, we would be a welcoming and supportive community for vulnerable children and those who care for them. We pray for the work of Home for Good in Northern Ireland and across the UK. We pray particularly for the team in Northern Ireland, that you will guide and direct their paths. We ask that the ministry of Home for Good would bear much fruit, fruit that will last. Gracious God, our loving Father, hear us as we pray. Almighty God, you are loving, compassionate, faithful and just. We bring these prayers before you in the name of the one who taught us to call you Father, our Lord and Saviour. Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to this talk. If you would like to know more about New Horizon, please visit our website at newhorizon.org.uk.